absolutely wild as Fern Gagne's all-star wrestling goes coast to coast and continent to continent. The greatest wrestlers in the world. He may be an apprentice carpenter, but I guarantee you he is a seasoned ring veteran. I've been hit with bar stools, bar rags, bar mace. I'm talking to you! They're scared that Hulkamania is still running wild. I got a big fat wife and nine kids at home, and I gotta feed them. And take a look at Jesse the body in real life. Open your hand once if you would. You want to see it? (laughs) This is absolutely unbelievable. Totally, completely out of control. He's coming in over the top. Hey, look out! If there's a more over open in podcast, I don't know what it is because that is a podcast of the preeminent. Well, that's the open for the preeminent podcast about the AWA or something like that. I know we've done this show damn near a hundred times. I don't know. We're good. It's a good open. It's a good podcast. We got good listeners, right? I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of it. It's a, it's a terrific show open. Uh, and once again, kudos to uh, Mr. Chupik for yes. putting that one together. It was absolutely great. Well done. And uh, yes, it is. Outside of when we say goodbye, that is definitely the most over part of the that's show. Part of the, yeah, that's yeah. People come for the open, and then they just fast forward to the end when we uh, when we leave. Chris, I got a question for you. What did yes. you do to the real Mick Karch? Because he just like. Gave me a compliment. We got 59 minutes left, buddy. Ah, that explains enough said. I just wanted to make sure, but you yeah. you are indeed McCarts, right? Just last I checked, I should be here any minute now. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we got a little bit of a pivot today, guys. Uh, we were going to talk about lesser known AWA champions, but then I, I think Mick. We just kind of got to talking about all of the questions that we've still got and they continue. Oh, and I think I I just got another one. Um, We've got so many questions that I think you will suggest it. And I think it's a good idea. Let's continue to, to just answer people's questions because I have a feeling if we don't continue to do this to stay on top of it, we will be so inundated with it. So I think if it's okay with you guys, we'll do another no DQ and a, works for me and i mean those questions do keep right on coming it's just amazing i mean we don't, we're not soliciting them they no. just come in every day we get the emails we get the dms and it's great uh very popular feature on our on our podcast so let's mm-hmm. keep it keep it going let's okay. do it all right uh before we we do that want to ask you guys uh you can see on the bottom join our awa unleashed uh, fans page on Facebook, I know we don't really promote that a lot, um, but if you're, you know, if you're not a part of it, definitely, uh, definitely do. Uh, also, the best way to help us grow, you guys, is the AWA Unleashed YouTube channel. Yes, that's yeah, that that's the best way. Hit the subscribe button and keep an eye out for around the first of the year because we're going to be coming on episode 100, and I have a feeling around that time. We're working on some things that I have a feeling people are really going to like. It's going to take some time to implement, but we're going to take AWA Unleashed to the next level. And I think you guys want to be a part of that. I, I think is that 
is that fair to say? I mean, we're, we're working on things. I don't want to say what they are, but I have a feeling we've got things that I hopefully are, are going to be really well received. It's the wrestling world. You know, there was always that caveat in the programs, you know, pro programs subject to change. Yep. So, you know, we, we try to keep it, uh, you know, flexible and fluid. And But, yeah, I agree with you. With the stuff that we've got, at least on tap, you know, on the drawing board, 2024 is going to be fun. going to be a good year for us. Looking forward to it. All right. Hey, Mick, you want to move your camera down a little bit? I can't believe I want to say this, but I want to see, like... There, you there want to see yeah. more of him? Want to see more of Mick? Yeah, there's. Yeah, you, you gotta. You got Just a minute. Hang on. Hang on. Just a minute. Whoa! 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 Hang on. Hang. Oh! Oh! You don't want to see that much. Okay. Oh, hang is on. That, oh. Is that your uh, orthopedic yeah, hemorrhoid better. pillow? What is that? Don't worry about it. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks to uh, Soda Stick and Seventh uh, Avenue Pizza as well for uh, for being some sponsors here. All right, guys. I, I know we got we got a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, Make this. This is also before we get to the question. It's a big day or uh, a, a big week in AWA history. It is, and I can't believe I'm saying this. That it was 48 years ago this week. 48 freaking years. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle defeated Vern Gagne in St. Paul to win the AWA Heavyweight Championship. I was in attendance, so God, I must have been what two years old, and. Huh. The, the the amazing thing about it, you know, is as it happened, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, we got a controversial ending here. This isn't going to stick. You know, Stanley Blackburn will stick his nose in again. And, you know, uh, but miraculously, the AWA did not have cameras at the St. Paul Auditorium that night. Uh, so there was no way to review the tape. And uh, with the uh, assistance of Bobby Duncombe, and uh, with referee Paul Pershman, uh, Nick Bockwinkle defeated Vern Gagne in 1975. And Vern, I think at that point, Joe, uh, officially passed the torch at that he, point. He did, although he did get the strap back after 75, yeah. did he not? Yeah, he, he did. He did. But I mean, but kind of officially for anybody with any kind of a lengthy championship reign, he trusted Nick enough. Nick had already been here five years. And, uh, you know, that was long enough, and, and Vern uh, passed the torch. Yeah, you, you know, looking back uh, and Vern's age by that point, it was the marking of the end of the, shall we say, the, the uh, when, when Vern was up on top without, yes. yeah. Yeah. you know, he, he still was on top, but this was the beginning of the end of the run for Vern Gagne. Because it would have been, let's see, was it May of 1980 when he had his retirement? 81. 81 when he 81. had his retirement yep. match. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, so we were six years short of that. Yep. And uh, as we all know, Vern came back a uh, couple of times after that. We saw that cardigan sweater come leaping in over the top rope, uh, you know, more than once. And, of course, uh, you know, his kind of dreadful cage match with the uh, the Sheik at, uh, at Wrestle Rock. But nonetheless, for us Bachwinkle supporters back in the day, when we found out this decision was going to stick, I mean, it was euphoria. Uh, but, I, again, 48 years ago, great era in the AWA and you couldn't blame Bobby Heenan for that one because Bobby was not in the corner. 
of uh, and Bobby always said that. Hey, when Nick won the title, you can't blame me. I wasn't there. So accurate. A nice little swerve because I'm sure fans going into there thinking without Bobby Heenan in this corner, there was no chance that Nick could win. Ha! Exactly. They was wrong. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Great, uh, great little swerve, as you said, Joe. Uh, let's go ahead and kick it off by throwing the first one to you, Joe, from Jared Siegel. Uh, I grew up watching the AWA and got a kick out of Al Darusha. He seemed to be a jack of all trades. Can you tell us about him behind the scenes? Oh, my, I, I could do the rest of the show about the behind the scenes with uh, with Al Darusha. You know, let's start off with the obvious uh, and a question I've been asked. There is no blood relationship between Al Darusha and Captain Kangaroo, despite their Zal. <laughs> so Al had had a back surgery. He tells me the story. He had had, a, uh, I believe it was his first back surgery sometime prior. So they're in the locker room and look what these three do to him. And if this would have come out at the time, uh, um, talk about breaking kayfabe. You got mm-hmm. Mad Dog and Blackwell in the same shot. Uh, hell, even Mad Dog and Nick in the same shot. Yeah, but w- what a great picture. L has the original and did get it autographed by all three. But of I them. mean, I think that shows how much they all liked Al because they were all willing to be a chiropractor for him. Yes. Yeah. Al, Al was. He transcended, you know, kayfabe. Al was a jack of all trades. He started in the carnival industry, which is where professional wrestling started. Um, worked his way to be a, uh, a runner for WTCN back in the day. And from there, he worked his way up. He was directing um, Lunch with Casey. Um, he directed, uh, God, I'm trying to think of the other show, a ton of those shows during the 1960s that were live in the Twin Cities Al directed them and his career. And then, you know, working at WTCN, the AWA did the shows from there. And it was just a natural melding of Al Darusha becoming involved with professional wrestling. Um, About, gosh, what was it? 2015 or 2016, uh, Al's career was rewarded and he was inducted into the Minnesota Broadcasting Hall of Fame, and I was extremely honored to. Uh, Al invited me to go there. Um, I produced his induction video into it, uh, and Al's been inducted into the uh, Outdoor Amusement Business Association Hall of Fame for the work that he did there, as well as I think also the Showman's League of America, but I'm not positive on that one. But phenomenal career mm-hmm. as a person. I've had the pleasure and honor of working with him for many years doing the OABA Hall of Fame induction videos and more times than not. In fact, it's not even more times than not. Pretty much every single time we would sit down for an edit session on on the OABA videos, to no one's surprise, I would say, guess what we ended up talking about? Old AWA stories and the stories that Al shared with me, um, I mean, just legendary. And it's where I learned a lot of things about a lot of the guys who were, who came before I did, you know, the Billy Robinsons of the world, uh, the Wally Carbo stories are just 
I mean, you honestly would think that they were made up. They were that, they are that funny. Um, but Al, I, I got nothing bad to say about Al. Um, I, I really don't. I consider him one of my best friends in the professional wrestling business that I've done. And uh, he's going through some health issues at the moment. Al's, uh, a, I believe, yeah, we're we're around his birthday. I'll have to look it up here. But I, his birthday is coming up. Um, if it's not transpired by the time this airs, um, but Al, if you are listening, love you, love you. Hope you can battle through, um, your, your current issues and, uh, I'll be over to have that lunch with you here soon. Any guy that refers to a, uh, a jar of Parmesan cheese as a gimmick, hand me the gimmick. Uh, is all right by me. So uh, God love you, Al Derusha. What a great, great guy. He still, still refers to pretty much everything as a gimmick. I talked to him. I, I could have a five-minute call with him, and the gimmick line comes up three, four times easily. Perfect. Yeah, I've never heard anyone in my short time doing this podcast last couple of years. I haven't. Uh oh, I guess it's me and you. Chris well, got Chris got gimmicked. He got gimmicked. Oh, there he is. Wait a minute. Is is there? Back? I am. There okay. I am. Yeah. For some reason, uh, yeah. Something something gimmicked. See, I was I was saying something nice about Al Darusha, and I feel like maybe there was some sort of like, I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody somebody that didn't like Al. I don't know <laughs> anybody that didn't like Al. Ernski. Yeah. Yeah, from beyond the grave. Uh, this one for you, Mick, from John Zimmerman. Uh, the Crusher was so incredibly popular in the Minneapolis area. Was his cousin, Dick the Bruiser, as popular as Crusher? Great question. Uh, Crusher in in the Twin Cities area and the AWA, you know, we, we can talk about his popularity, you know preceded Hulk Hogan in terms of, uh, you know, the overall popularity and the longevity. Uh, Crusher was in the, in the AWA, in the Twin Cities area, more popular than Dick the Bruiser. There's, there's Crusher, uh, classic. That's when he had the AWA singles championship in 1965. And uh, Bruiser was more over in like the Chicagoland area and Indianapolis and, and those places. Bruiser would come in a couple of times a year into the AWA to have a tag team run with Crusher, maybe against Larry Henning and Harley Race or, or that type thing. But I think on the overall in the AWA outside of maybe Chicago, uh, Crusher was certainly more popular, but Bruiser had legions of fans, you know, in his territory, in the, uh, the WWA area. In Chicago, Indianapolis, Hammond, and and that type of thing. But what a great combination! Legendary. I feel we have to clarify uh, one of the things. One of his part of his question was his cousin Dick the Bruiser. Ah. They were not related. Just no. you know to to clarify that. I think most people know that, but they were indeed not blood relatives. But uh, they sure worked together well as a tag team. Well, they look like brothers, and in pro wrestling, that's all that matters. If yep. you look, if you both have a crew cut, you're brothers or your cousins or your sisters, or something like that. But uh, Dick the Bruiser, <laughs> what a what a legend! Legend. Yep. 
You got me with the sister. That's uh, man, so many questions. Uh, this one for you, Mick, from Jeffrey Tyler. Beside Otto Vons, all of the out of all of the AWA champions over the years, who was the most surprising? I think this is a a good question because there are people that came in from other territories that that got the that you know held the title, but to me, I don't I, I don't necessarily connect them with the AWA. It's interesting because the AWA did not have a lot of champions in their 30-year history, and a lot of them, like Vern and Crusher and Mad Dog and Nick, were multi-time uh, champions that took up a lot of that a lot of that era. A um, couple of guys that were champions in the AWA, Fritz von Erich, and I, I should point out that both of these guys that I'm going to mention were one-week champions. They were one-week tra uh, transitional champions in the Omaha area. For whatever reason, the AWA had a working agreement with promoter Joe Dusek in Omaha. Gave him the straps every once in a while. Fritz von Erich uh, was one of those that defeated Vern Gagne uh, in Omaha. Held the title for exactly one week, and then lo and behold, uh, Vern won the, the championship back from Fritz von Erich. And the other, of all people, is the mighty Igor, Dick Garza, who defeated Mad Dog Vashan uh, to win the AWA heavyweight title. Again, it's a localized, uh, centralized promotion uh, in Omaha, or, or title change, I should say. But yeah, Dick the Bruiser, or uh, Fritz Von Erich and the mighty Igor both held the AWA heavyweight championship, albeit for one week apiece. Some things you don't really see that too much. Today. No, I mean the, the the belts change a lot more frequently than they used to. You know, we we talked about earlier. I mean, Vern had a, a five plus year run, then Nick followed that up with five plus years. I know Roman Reigns had a a, a lengthy run. Is he still champion in the WWE? He's still champion. Of, of course he is. He'll probably be champion, oh, I would guess, through the 28th century. <laughs> but I, so, I, Yeah, I, I feel like that was all about the marketing. You know, today's superstar has got to be the longest reigning. But how come, guys, I mean, was it – I mean, looking back on it, do you have any idea why maybe they just had these one-week champions and then they, you know, got the belt off of certain individuals? I think the one-week title reigns – Chris, were more box office, you know, specifically, you know, you, you set up a feud in the Omaha area. Omaha was kind of its own thing uh, okay. in a sense. Chicago kind of was too. But, you know, it's just, you know, set up a feud, give it to them for one week, you know, pique the fans' interest, and then, uh, you know, give it back to Burn. Okay. I just, I, I was just curious because, yeah, we, I kind of like those one-week rain because they come out of nowhere and then it's like, boop, you drop it back. But yeah, we just... We just don't see that much anymore. Yeah, and in in most cases, and especially with tag teams, uh, you didn't hear about it. If there was a title change, yeah, it, it was kept quiet. When it made the AP or UPI wire services, and you saw it in the Star Tribune that Bockwinkel and Stevens won the title in Denver, then you knew it would it was going to stick. Okay, all right. Uh, this one is for me from Bill Dobick. Uh, maybe it's been addressed before, but are we allowed to show old video clips from the early days of the AWA? We we don't we don't own the the, the video, so it's it's a very it's a touchy situation. 
because of the the ownership rights. You know, there are certain ways that that you know you, you can have it be part of of your program, but there are certain acknowledgments and and you know ways that you have to go about it. So, I'd love to be able to just sit here and say we could play clip after clip after clip, but the reality is because it's an intellectual property and it's owned by WWE that's it's it's a very tricky situation when you're dealing with trademarks and videos and and how much of it you can play you know and and then too we've talked about this before as far as early AWA footage going yeah. back to the 60s i mean that is just like you know, it doesn't exist, right? No, it's it's a piss it's a piss in the ocean. I mean, it's it's just. The, 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 I mean, there is footage that does exist of the uh, '60s and '70s. It's just not a lot right. of it. And as you said, I mean, the, the WWE bought the AWA. Uh, we closed that sale in March of 2003. So they own everything so if you see something on youtube somebody else posts they don't own it they yeah. you know they, you know how youtube works but the wwe owns it and that is not a sleeping bear that i think we want to be poking right exactly yeah well, and we'll see what happens yeah 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 good luck with that actually fall back at me oh, uh, yeah exactly but you know kind of mick tell us why for those that don't know Tell us why that footage doesn't exist. Because we could say, well, okay, it's not out there, but why does it not exist? It was a dollars and cents issue with no foresight whatsoever by the promoters back in the day, and the AWA wasn't the only one to did it uh, to do it. You would tape a show, and then you know when you had outlived the usefulness of that particular broadcast, you taped over it. You used the same tapes over and over again uh cost cost saving measure and sadly all the larry hennig harley race against dick the bruiser and the crusher or the Vern Gagne against gene kaniski whatever it might be it's gone and you know the, it wasn't just pro wrestling that did it you know a lot of entertainment uh, venues or, or their television shows did it too tonight show whatever the footage is gone and uh, how sad is that but as joe has said many times there was no foresight. There was no looking into the future thinking, man, this stuff is going to be a gold mine. You know, it's like uh, your baseball cards use this, uh, you know, noisemakers on bike spokes. Oh, yeah. And the spokes. Yeah. 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 Rerun Reruns were not a thing. Right. Exactly. You know, and, and, and so nobody thought about it. In fact, if, you know, just a quick little side note, I remember growing up and there would be no television overnight. Right. You'd get the, this ends our broadcasting day. You might have the flag waving in the background and then it'd go to color bars yep. for several hours. And so television had not evolved, certainly not to where it is today, but it didn't even evolve to where it uh, ended up being in the late, hell, even early 70s where reruns started. That's where I learned about Gilligan's Island and the Flintstones were on afternoon reruns. And that was, again, that was not a, thing in the in this early to mid hell even into the late 1960s so as he said mick it wasn't just the awa it was other promotions and other productions that just did not have the foresight to keep all of these in the can as we say there you go 
And uh, before we get to the next one, guys, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Uh, rate, review, give us a thumbs up. All of that helps to growth with the algorithm. We'll and take any finger up. Any finger, yes. Even if it's uh, even if it's that one from the big nipple, Joe Chupik himself. Uh, God, that's such still a, that's still a great gimmick. I don't even know who named you the big nipple, but I I kind of knew you. Did I do it? it? It was you, yeah. It was. Oh, I was so like, when, man, that's when, a we mar when we market the t-shirts, you'll uh, you'll get the royalties. I'll get the royalties. Called the yep. big nipple. Well, well, can we at least go the Polish nipple? No. The big okay. Polish nipple. That's too much. No, 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 I, just, I, just don't want, I don't want to find out how you even think that I have like big nipples. I don't give I don't, a shit, to be honest with you. But it doesn't have yeah. to be factual. It's wrestling. It can be whatever we want it to be. That's oh, right. Very That's true. Exactly very right. true. Elapsed time two hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for the big nipple. Uh, from George Torgerson, you've talked so much about the infamous Whitewater AWA show. My question is, why in the world would Vern have had the tag title switch over to the Midnight Express in such a small town? And uh, yeah, kind of take us who the who the tag team champs were and how how that all kind of went down. And yeah, why in Whitewater when it was apparently just so stinky of a production value? So Jerry the King Lawler and Superstar, <coughs> excuse me, Bill Dundee had the straps going into Whitewater. Um, the, the straps needed to get dropped because, well, Lawler and Dundee really, they, they weren't full timers here. They were from Mid-South. That's where they were based. So the straps needed to get changed. Uh, Vern had gotten the Midnight Express uh, who had a great run in the NWA. They brought in Pauly dangerously. There they are. And it was just, the, it needed to get changed. Now, why Whitewater? Well, again, it was a timing thing. Uh, it was a taping for All-Star Wrestling and ESPN Championship Wrestling. And during this time, this was not a good time uh, for the AWA as a company. And so that's why we're in, we went to Whitewater and that's why the production looked like the drizzling shit, still the worst to this day, the worst production that I have ever been involved with. And I've probably been on about a thousand sets in my career. If, you still have that, you still have that Whitewater video? Oh God, no! I've flushed that down the toilet years ago. I when when we redid, you know, brought the AWA back in the pay per views. I intentionally stayed away from anything from Whitewater because I was afraid that the pay per view outlets would say, "Yeah, nice try, but no, we're not going to air this." It was just that bad. Joe, I felt so bad for that rat that died on the conveyor belt running the power for the Whitewater <laughs> show. It was. Well, I, well, I know you felt bad for it, but it was one of your gerbils, not a rat. So, just but, that, 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 but that, vi that video would be great on our podcast. I mean, it would be an upgrade for our podcast. You know, what, having a been... gerbil on. Well, this is what's really AWA Unleashed after dark. Right? We could do an hour with the gerbil. Why not? Well, yeah, I know you have many times, but wow. Okay, so let me ask you, because you know, you're talking about Dundee and Lawler being out of Mid-South. 
why the Midnights? Because the Midnights to me were an NWA team. That's because that's very they, interesting. Yeah. yeah, it's because they were an NWA team and they had some recognition in in uh, you know nationally or as national as you could be in in yeah. uh, wrestling at that time. And they were still, there were two names, two guys who certainly could work extremely well. And they had Paulie Dangerously. So, you know, why them specifically? I, I don't, I'll put it this way. Why not? Take a look at who else we had in the territory. And I, they, and there were others, but they, they were a good fit. And and I'll still, I'll go back to Lawler and Dundee needed to drop the straps because they weren't, really full-time it's sort of like when fritz we're talking earlier when fritz won the awa title sure. fritz really wasn't in the awa he didn't like he wasn't a mainstay here for six months or brought in as a special tag team partner things are done for a reason and as it relates to the tag team straps it needed to be done business-wise mm -hmm. to put the straps on the midnight express and the dangerous alliance okay I, I, yeah, I, I was just curious because you're talking about a, a Mid-South team beating a, an NWA team for AWA titles. So that was just kind of uh, something that just kind of crossed my mind. Uh, this is from Terry Lee Anderson. Uh, love the show. Would it be in the cards to devote an entire show to one of the best ever to come from Minnesota, Kurt Hennig? Uh, to me, he was a terrific talent. One of the best talents of all time. Um, I, I Unfortunately, I feel like he's more he's more appreciated now posthumously than he was when he was with us, which is a shame because you look at him now and I feel like he's one of those guys that no matter what the era was, he'd be able to fit in. But we, we did a couple hours to him uh, earlier on, go back and check the archives. Uh, we did do a, a two hours, uh, two hours to Kurt Hennig. And, and once again, the invitation to Joe Hennig, uh, to come on our podcast at any time to discuss not only yes. his career, uh, but uh, but his dad's career. And I would extend that to Amy Hennig. You know, Amy, uh, you know, Kurt's daughter had a very short run as a pro wrestler. But I said it, you know, recently, and I'll say it again. In the 1980s, there was nobody better than Kurt Hennig. And you look back on some of that uh, old footage of Kurt in the ring, some of the things that he did just a phenomenal talent yeah and when you look at the early kurt hennig kind of that milk toast baby face uh nondescript kurt hennig and then you see what he became as mr perfect and before that in the awa when he was cool kurt and he was the heavyweight champion of the world uh, one of the all-time greats you can't have a top 10 let alone a top five without kurt hennig in 2001, we went down to uh, Florida to do, we had Mean Gene, uh, Vern, and we had set up a ring in a studio down there. And uh, that's where we taped three of our uh, open and closes and wraparounds for uh, three AWA, pay, AWA pay-per-views that we had done for uh, uh, On Demand. Uh, which was huge for us because we were uh, just on satellite providers before that. Anyway, bef the night before the taping, I got, uh, shall we say, kidnapped by Brian Nobbs uh, and uh, uh, forced to uh, go over to his place. And we might have had a, a beer or 12, but um, 
Uh, it sounds, sounds kind of nasty, really. It, it uh, trust me, the next morning I felt yeah. nasty. Yeah. Uh, stayed out way too late, but I, I bring that up because the conversation. Um, one of Brian's neighbors had come over, and so we're talking wrestling. And uh, Brian just asked me flat out. He goes, "Joe, I know who you're going to say, but flat out, right now, today in the business, who is the best in the game?" And without hesitation. I said that it was Kurt Henning and Brian looks at me, looks at me, looks at his friend. He goes, I, I knew what that answer was going to be. There was no doubt. Kurt at that time was the best in the business overall. His presence, even though his bumps were, shall we say, over the top, but that was part of the charm. It was the perfect reaction for the perfect wrestler that's a perfect way to end that question joe well well done uh, this is for you mick from ron turchik is there any footage of the saturday night at ringside episode with the reunion of the old awa stars well first of all that was that may be my single favorite night in all the years i've been doing this uh, it was the saturday night at ringside second anniversary special. So this would have been in 1990. And we had a lot of the old AWA legends in uh, for a reunion type show. Uh, there you see them. Uh, there is Stan Kowalski to the left, Al Darusha, uh, Mad Dog Vachon with the Baron, apparently some type of growth coming out of Mad Dog's head, uh, the Baron Von Raschke, and then Larry the Axe Hennig. We had them on set and it was just extraordinary. Does the footage still exist outside of maybe a VHS tape here and there that somebody might have? Uh, no, it doesn't. I'm pretty damn sure that all those old three-quarter inch tapes are long since gone. Um, and again, you're going back 33 years, 32 years. My God, it, it's hard to believe. But what a night that was. And these guys were like, like an old family reunion when they saw each other in the studio, a lot of hugging, a lot of how the hell you been. And the stories were just flowing like water. And uh, what a night. Make no mistake. There is a camaraderie in the business. And when, like in anything that you do, you see an old coworker you haven't seen for years. It just brings back memories, maybe some bad, like to think mostly good for these guys. They're grown teenagers. Every single one of them in that shot were just grown teenagers. And for them to get back together again, Mick, God, I wish it would have been on that set. Oh, it was phenomenal. And I mentioned before, we went out to grab a bite to eat afterward in the uh, St. Paul area there. And the fans flocked to the table where these guys were. It's like oh, they had, sure. hadn't missed a beat. And uh, it was it was tremendous. So was 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 there ever any concern? Because I mean, that was still kind of in that that era of kayfabe. I mean, any concern about you know you know perception from the fans? I mean, I no. know that they're all you know all villains per se, but still, no, there really wasn't because a lot you know the guys were for the most part all retired. You know, the dog, of course, had his accident, so yeah. he wouldn't do it. Uh, you know, the, the Baron was the only one, I think, that was kind of still actively involved in the business. But it was more like hero worship. It was more like, uh, oh, my God, there they are. Let's see. And it was, I can't begin to tell you 
what a wonderful night that was. Nice. Yeah, it looks pretty, pretty damn cool. Uh, this is for you and uh, well, for uh, both you guys from Pistol Paul Anthony. You guys made reference to a Twin Cities card called Twin Wars that featured Ric Flair. Uh, do you happen to remember who else was on that show and when exactly it was held? I know that we had talked about doing a show about Twin Wars down the road, but uh, um, who wants to start out with this one? Joe, take it because you were there and it was your wheelhouse. That, well, again, and we brought it up before. This was uh, the last hurrah, the last big show attempt at the St. Paul Civic Center for the AWA. Uh, going into it, uh, oh, nice. Wow, I haven't seen that in a long time. Well, there answers your question as to uh, some of the other talent on there. But, um, you know, it was Twin Wars for the Twin Cities, Twin Wars for the two different leagues and their two championships. Um, but sadly, this one flopped miserably. I think we might have gotten maybe 2,000 people, 1,500, 2,000 people in the St. Paul Civic Center. And we're talking about a venue that was holding 18,000 plus in the I mean, AWA. You, you look at it on the surface and you've got a lot of, I mean, Ric Flair, Brian Pillman, Nikita Koloff, Larry Zabisco, Destruction Crew, Brad Riggins. Like, it looks like you've got enough there. I mean, if nothing else, you, you would figure Flair would be able to at least bring enough people in. Well, Chris, not only that, but, you know, it's 1990, so NWA Worldwide is is – you know, in the market here. Yeah, Everybody, yeah, aren't you? Yeah, aren't you? Aren't you guys trying to, you know, count on that NWA rub? I mean, by bringing course. in a guy like Flair. Of course, you know, you would think, or you would have thought that just the mention of Ric Flair coming back to his home state, yeah, would have sold tickets. As Joe said, it didn't, and it was. You look at the talent on that show, and then you look at that crowd, and like we've talked about before, Joe, you knew that was it. It was, uh, the nail was in the coffin and, uh, it was just a matter of time and, uh, set, you know, I mean, you look at the lineup, you know, that was the night of course that Ric Flair wanted his payoff from Vern and Vern reminded him that, uh, he owed him 10% for training him. And, uh, that was the night that that, that all went down and, Ooh. you know, so it yeah. was, it, it kind of crashed and burned, but, uh, the last vestige of big stuff allegedly for the AWA. I will say that even if Hulk Hogan would have been on that card, that the AWA was still not going to, yeah, you know, might've gotten 3000 people. It was not going to get close to it. And the reason for that is everything leading up to it. Yeah. On the surface, you know, looking back at it now, it was a pretty decent card, but where the AWA was at that point, the fans had gotten, shall we say, bitten yeah. several times leading up to it before. And how how so? How, how did the fans get bitten leading up to it? It was like a bait and switch, bad advertising. like a, no big, a big part as a fan to me is going to an event and having that event, having the atmosphere of a big crowd, getting involved with the show. 
hell, take a look at a current WWE show today, and I guarantee you that at least half of the people that attend that are not true weekly wrestling fans. They're they're there for the event, like they're like this going to the state fair type of a yeah. thing. Okay. Well, it, it, to use the state fair analogy, if the state fair suddenly uh, had only two rides on the fairway and only a handful of uh, uh, vendors, you know, that, and it was slowly scaled back over the years, and they do that for a few years, and it's the exact same vendors. You only have corn dogs, and you know, it just it it, it was uh, the AWA was on such a downslide by the time Twin Wars happened that the negativity surrounding it was there was just no interest to go into it. I. I don't know what our all-star wrestling numbers were at that time, but that was the vehicle to drive people there. And I think it'd be safe to say the numbers were a small fraction of what they were in the heyday. So what was the, because you, you know, you, you were there, Joe, and you said that this was one of the, the last gasps. What was the, what was the hope or what was the attitude going into it? And then, uh, conversely, what was it like after that event? Well, going into it, it was the hope that there would at least be a strong enough card to try to build some momentum to do another card. Okay. But, you know, so th the hope was there, but it's, uh, and I use analogies a lot, but it, it was like somebody being on life support, and then the plug being pulled, but they're still breathing on their own. And you think that, okay, there might be some hope. The reality is they're, they're just, it, it wasn't there. They, they weren't, the AWA was not strong enough to come off of life support. And after that event, wow. uh, it wasn't very long before we started just doing um uh, pre-recorded shows using old footage and okay. it was solemn it was solemn in the in the office in fact i ended up getting my pay uh, cut in half to produce those other shows because there just really wasn't there, there's nothing going on with the awa you know you, you got to throw something in here too again this is an attempt by the awa to work with another promotion it didn't work at Super Clash in 1988. They thought that, you know, maybe bringing Ric Flair in and NWA could do it, you know, get the rub from the other promotions. First of all, there was no buildup to these matches. All of a sudden, you got Ric Flair and Brian Pillman headlining an AWA card. Why? Uh, Nikita Koloff working against Larry Zabisco. There's somewhat of a history there, but nothing that would impact people to go get their tickets so the whole thing was just as joe said the train left the station and uh sad to say it it and the nwa had worked hard here they worked shows they drew okay but the nwa never drew 15 16 17 000 people here even they weren't doing very well it was it was over yeah i gotta add one thing that there was actually a third attempt to work with other promoters and that would have been pro wrestling usa yes when it was the NWA and the AWA. And, well, I mean, matches were good. Numbers were good there, but it just became an issue with the promoters. Uh, you yep. know, so 
it, yeah, it, always been a challenge when you get two promoters in the same room trying to agree on something. Yeah, and I and I I'm glad that you kind of explained it that way. I you know it kind of talks about the the negativity of the AWA, and I know we don't want to always you know dwell or talk about it, but when you were you know you mentioned just how this was kind of the last gasp, I just wanted to know like the difference in like that event and then after. So I just kind of wanted to see how how it all worked out chronologically. So I, I mean, I and, and honestly, Chris, there wasn't a huge letdown after the event, right? Because okay. we all knew expectations were so low. Yep. Going okay. into going into Twin Wars, uh, to use yet another analogy, it's the equivalent of being broke and buying that Powerball with your last two dollars and hoping that you hit. Okay. All right. Uh, we got about uh, 10 minutes here left, guys. We can get a few more in and uh, again, we'll, we'll have, we'll continue to roll questions over. Uh, this is for you, Mick, from Nate Zermak. Uh, I'd like to ask each of you, if you could book one guest from AWA's past who is really controversial, uh, who would it be? Outstanding show, guys. Look forward to it every week. Well, thank you, Nate. Appreciate that. And uh, I think there's one name that kind of sticks out here, Mick. If, if we could book anybody to be on this show that has a controversial history in the AWA, I would go with Colonel De Beers, um, our friend Ed Wiskoski. And certainly, I don't think there's any question, the most controversial storyline or angle in AWA history was his uh, kind of racist angle uh, with Derek Starfire. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, you know, he didn't want to get in the ring with Jimmy Snuka. In other words, basically, if you're not Caucasian, I'm not going to get in the ring with you. Uh, Ed's a great guy, and I would love to have him on the show and get his take on that angle back then. Probably the last guy, Joe, that got legitimate heat, real hatred heat in the AWA was Colonel De Beers. I mean, he, the fans were all over him. Well, not only the fans, but the stations and ESPN, uh, that just created a whole ton of controversy. And, uh, you know, I, I I know that controversy sells, but in this instance, uh, it did not. It, it yeah. did not. But I, I'll agree with your pick. Um, Love to have that on the show. I haven't talked to him in, in, in many years. That'd be an interesting hour. I, I know he's been having some health issues. <clears throat> Excuse me. I saw him a couple of years ago at CAC. Uh, he, he looked good at the time, but uh, maybe, maybe. You never say never in the wrestling business, let alone on this podcast. So we'll see. Yes. Yep. We've been uh, we've been working for a lot of people and we've got a lot of things out there that are uh, percolating. But you said, Mick, you know, when it comes down to health, you know, people have to take care of themselves, number one. Yep. yep. Uh, this is for you, Mick, and we'll see if we can get a couple more of these in. Uh, from Leo Baunas. Hopefully I said that name uh, correctly, Leo. Thanks for the weekly trip down memory lane, guys. Love the chemistry. My question is, I've heard more than once that Eddie Sharkey fired a shot at Vern Gagne. Is that true? Well, and, and maybe we just end with this one because we'll, uh, yeah, let's, let's end with this one. We got about uh, 10 minutes or so. Well, yes and no. Um, uh, Eddie didn't fire directly at Vern. Uh, I believe there was a picture of Vern or a poster of Vern in the wrestling office at the Dykeman Hotel. 
and uh, downtown Minneapolis. The and and we're not speaking out of turn here because Eddie Sharkey has acknowledged this. And you know, people say, "Hey, did you actually do this?" And he says, "Yeah." Uh, you know, in typical Eddie Sharkey fashion, the poster money didn't come in. Uh, there's our good friend, Eddie. And Eddie had a beef with Vern of a personal nature. And thank God the wrestling office was closed. I believe Eddie probably had nothing better to do on a Sunday afternoon or Saturday morning, whatever. Went downtown, downtown Minneapolis, um, and shot up the windows uh, at the wrestling office at 605 Dykeman Hotel. And I believe he actually pointed the pistol at a picture of Vern. So did Eddie actually take a shot at Vern? No, no, he did not. But uh, this is kind of legendary about Eddie Sharkey. Uh, there was no nonsense when it came to Eddie, his animosity towards Vern. If Eddie thought that uh, Vern had wronged somebody close to him or somebody in the business, didn't have to be Vern Gagne. Uh, Eddie was uh, kind of a vengeful guy. And uh, everybody knew that Eddie did it. Nobody pressed charges. Uh, Eddie, of course, you know, until years later, denied doing it. But everybody knew, you know. And uh, They just chalk it up to Eddie being Eddie? Yeah, Eddie being Eddie. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of a badge of honor these days. Would you ask Eddie about it? You know, if somebody said to me, hey, did you, did you fire that guy? I, are you kidding? No. I, I did it. And, <laughs> uh, so that's, that's pretty typical of Eddie. And that's part of, and believe it or not, that's part of Eddie's charm. Uh, and, uh, you know, thank God nobody was there. No Bill Casisto, no Wally Carbo, no Vern Gagne, and just a couple of bullet holes and all was forgiven. Uh, well, go ahead. What year would that have been, Mick? That would have been, I'm guessing, 64, 65-ish. And the reason uh, that I bring that up, and this is what I find interesting, is it was done so early, yet... Vern still had Eddie Sharkey referee several times for the AWA after that. He did, but there was a lapse of time. There was a lapse of 18 years, and the reason that Eddie came back to referee for Vern was because Eddie had the Road Warriors in his back pocket. Vern wanted to get the Road Warriors. Eddie was kind of a go-between. And, you know, so so Eddie had had kind of, the, you know, Vern over a barrel a little bit. And uh, I've seen pictures since then of Vern and Eddie at Cauliflower Alley. You know, they got the shit-eating grins pasted on, you know, like they swallowed a coat hanger. Um, you know, like everything was all copacetic. But uh, one of the great legendary stories, uh, Eddie Sharkey and the Dykeman Hotel. You know, for, for years... I've always said never say never in the wrestling business, and you alluded to it earlier. And the reference that I had always used was if Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon can still get along after all of the shit that went on between them, then anything can happen in wrestling. I think I'm going to have to change that to say if if Eddie Sharkey and Vern <laughs> yeah. Gagne can work together, then anybody can work together in this Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, if somebody took a gun and shot at a picture of me, I would be like, yeah, I, I don't think there's really much we can do to come back from you blatantly having this act of wanting me murdered. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, as far as guys I mean, I working, working together, you know, look at us, you know, who would figure from week to week that the three of us, you know, could uh, mend fences and, you know, come back on again. 
So it happens. You know, probably we're right there behind Eddie Sharkey and Vern <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mick, only, yeah. Mick, I don't know why you say that because I have nothing but I, I hold the, hold you in the highest esteem. Well, oh. as far as you know, anyway. Yeah, if only they could see the uh, the group text. <laughs> well, I don't need you holding me up with any steam anywhere. So let's just, uh, you know, keep going. All right. Uh, we want to do one more and then we'll give some shout outs here, guys. Yeah, sure. yeah. Let's let's do that one that uh, that you uh, have there. Can we go to the uh, it was I believe it was the last question. Uh, oh. OK, yeah. The uh, the, last the, the tag team question. Yes. Uh, number 15. So we got a few more. We will uh, we will roll over. All right. Uh, this is for you, Mick, from Macho Bob. He heard there was a rugged tag team that were set to debut in the AWA, but then the comedy closed their doors. Mm-hmm. They were going to be billed as Clooney and Looney. Do you have a picture of this potential uh, Hall of Fame team? Do we have a picture? Are you kidding? It's us. I have a picture. We have a picture. And Chris, I know you'll put it up on the screen uh, hopefully soon. We uh, have a team. I believe this is it. Yes, Clooney and Looney. Clooney and Looney. <laughs> there they are, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Clooney and Looney. This tag team, as I understand it, was running roughshod in the southeastern part of the United States. The AWA made the phone call, but shit, as, as things happen, just as they were boarding the plane from South Carolina to come up to the Twin Cities <laughs> area and compete in the, probably the Team Challenge Series, everything just kind of shut down. And there you see that's George Clooney uh, with the white face mask in the back, and that is Joe Looney in the front there. That is the team of Clooney and Looney, uh, which I, I believe would have been destined for tag team greatness in the AW. Oh, one of the all-time greats. I no mean, doubt. Can't. No doubt. Right up there with Herman Schaefer and Woody Wilson. Uh, <laughs> no question about that. But look, look at that. I mean, talk about two scary guys, especially the guy in the front. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I mean it's it's a it's a piercing. I am absolutely not so look, isn't it? It's like he wants to just like eat you alive. The man is deranged. Yeah, deranged deranged is a good word, Mick. That's a good word. So the story behind this uh, incredible tag team that never got the light of day, unfortunately, this was actually during the, uh, the pandemic. No kidding. And and I had, I'd called Baron up just to see how he was doing and uh, offered him a copy of, uh, all of the AWA pay-per-views that I had done. And so, you know, everybody's locked down at home and so forth. And so I asked Jim, hey, I'll come over. I can just leave them for you. You can grab them, just give you something to do. So went over there. He opened up the garage door. We did keep our distance. And I said, hey, I just, can I get a selfie with you? And I'm just thinking Baron's going to be Jim, right? Well, of course, and that is all you need to know. I wish I would have seen you guys, especially you, in the ring with the Road Warriors. Man, that I would have, would have, been have seen you in a handicap match against hey. Hanson and Brody. Oh, you know what? With Mad Dog in their corner. Man, you are a vengeful sort. You know, more, more like a vengeful son of a bitch, but well, you know, I'll take true. the sort thing. 
What a great picture that is. Eight by tens would have sold T-shirts, <laughs> mugs, everything. Cloning Can and you looting. imagine a German and a Pole tag teaming? Unheard of in the earlier years. It's wrestling. Anything can happen. Man, that would have been a great team to take the belts off of uh, Lawler and Dundee. In Whitewater. In, in Whitewater. Whitewater. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yep. All right. Let's uh, let's wrap it up here, guys. I I would have personally, Joe, I would have loved to have seen the uh, the push by uh, Clooney and Looney, but we'll have to. Maybe when I, you know, maybe in our in our mind in our fantasy booking, we. Can I think Baron would have been offended by being called Looney. Oh boy! Wow. Baron, don't watch this podcast either. That or I. Wow. Oh. All right. Uh, shout outs, guys. Shout outs, and then uh, we'll kind of remind the people what we got going on. My shout out is to one of the Hennig clan, and it's to Hank Hennig. Uh, you know, Hank did not enter the wrestling business as uh, his dad, Kurt, did, or his grandfather, Larry, or his brother. Uh, but Hank is such a wonderful guy. Uh, we talked to him at the AWA reunion. He has an open invitation, too, to come on to the show. Lanise has an invitation. Amy has an invitation. But Hank Hennig, good old country western music singing Hank Hennig. Uh, shout out to you, Hank. Seems such a nice guy. Like, oh, just a polite, courteous like he was just just a super nice guy yes sir my shout out goes to somebody we brought up earlier today and uh, uh, because of his uh, recent health issues we'll put it that way um, my shout out goes to AWA legend ring announcer promoter director Al Darusha Al can't wait to have that lunch with you my friend yeah, just uh, very much deserving of it. And I'm going to go with Tom Halleck uh, from Winnipeg. Always is uh, asking us questions and always responding and being interactive on YouTube and whatnot. So, uh, Tom, appreciate you uh, up there in uh, in the peg. And I love Winnipeg. It's a great, great city. And, uh, you know, yeah, good to, good to have you on board. All right. Uh, I don't know. I, I know the next couple of weeks we've got some things that are kind of percolating. We don't have anything locked in, but we'll find something for next week, right? I mean, we have to because we're going to do a show. I would almost guarantee we will have a guest okay. uh, on the podcast. Uh, we have several people, not only that we want to get on the show, but they're asking. Yes. Hey, you know what? I saw so-and-so, my old buddy on the show. I'd love to do it sometime. So I would say 90% Count on a guest being on our show next week. Okay. Well, we've got that. Uh, if you guys haven't, subscribe, rate, review, and keep an eye out again. Coming up in the next couple of months, we're going to be uh, rolling out some new features, you guys. And we think you're really going to like it. We're going to try to expand this thing. We're going to need your help to expand this thing, but we think it's going to be worth it. So... That's about all I can say, because I know that we're we're working really, really hard behind the scenes to to kind of create some new features for you guys. And we hope that you're really going to like it. And in conclusion, just a reminder, when Nick won the title in 1975, Bobby Heenan had nothing to do with it. <laughs>